Hello, everyone, and welcome back. At long last, it's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. We have a special edition podcast for you. On with us over Anchor, again, keeping up with all the social distancing, although we didn't have a choice here, (laughs) is Dylan Ennis, who you may recognize. He's a member of the 2013 and 2014 Villanova teams and the 2015 Villanova team. Uh, Big East champion team. He is a professional basketball player. Tell me if I'm saying this right, Dylan, for Basket Zaragoza of the Spanish... Okay, of this in the Spanish yeah. Liga ACB, um, he was on the 2017 Oregon Ducks Final Four team. A graduate and a father and husband, yeah. so <laughs> uh, so a very accomplished guy, uh, despite only being out of college for a, a few years. Yeah. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you for having me. Um, and little background here for our listeners: we actually talked to Dylan a couple months yeah. ago. In the middle of all the coronavirus thing, and I mean, obviously, there's still the coronavirus thing. And candidly, we just got to a point where Rob and I said, you know what, this coronavirus thing, there's a lot of people who have who've passed away. Um, it's it's had impact across the globe. And and it didn't feel right to go keep running happy-go-lucky podcast about, about Villanova basketball in the midst of a global pandemic. And then on top of that, um, you add the... Brianna Taylor, George Floyd incidents, and and all the reckoning that's been going on here and around the world with race. And it's just not the appropriate thing to just go and talk about basketball as if nothing else is going on in the world. So uh, we actually put out, I don't know, Dylan, if you saw it or not, but we put out a, a statement and said, look, we want to talk about Villanova basketball, about a sport that is played uh, that prim- primarily or a lot by black men. And so we just can't ignore this it's not it's it's inappropriate um and we want to hear and and tell stories that are that are fulsome and and so people get a full picture um so sorry it's a little bit long-winded but thank you for coming on um and 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 we're going to start there rob anything that i missed here no i mean i think that was that was pretty good chris and obviously we do want to call out dylan is literally in the midst of you know restarting his basketball campaign after a long hiatus and i think he's taking a break just in between practices right now so yeah i can't can't thank you enough for for taking the time here no no problem at all so we wanted to start out and talk about a lot of things that happened with with your time at Villanova and then and then subsequently your time at Oregon. But we're going to start. We're not going to bury the lead. We want to start with recent events um, and specifically around around race. You've been in Spain and we understand um, just from the news and Twitter and what have you that there's been Black Lives Matter protests that have been going on throughout Europe in, in addition yeah. to the United States. Has there been the same level? Have you seen that in Spain? Has that been going on locally by you? Um, I think in the bigger cities um, like Barcelona, Madrid, um, you would find other, you find protests uh, for this. Um, but you know, I'm in Zaragoza, which is a big city. However, it's um, more slow pace. And you know, my team um, I had a picture uh, that went out where you know all of us kneeled. 
Um, and they don't do as much, um, but they'll still, you know, be in the paper. You know, some of my tweets uh, that I put out, they put in the paper as well. Uh, so they show that they know what's going on. Um, but, you know, the city I'm in, you won't see as many protests as, you know, the other cities. Right, right. So it's more centralized to, like, the bigger European cities. Like, yeah. But so I'm, I'm just curious, like, you've, you've been you, – you're from Canada. You grew up yeah. in Canada. Uh-huh. But you obviously spent a lot of time growing up uh, because of basketball, largely, in, in the United States. And yeah. now you're in Europe. That's got to be – that's got to put an interesting light on, on everything going on because, yeah. because you're seeing this. And I'm sure that the clips of the protests and everything has been playing um, throughout the world. I'm just curious about like, we'll get into deeper, but I'm curious about like media coverage. Like yeah. what's, what's been like the outside looking in? Um, you know, I, I, I said the other day, it's like we're in a whole different world right now in Europe. Um, of course, people know what's going on. Uh, there's Americans on many teams in Europe, which, you know, vocalize their support and their perspective. However, you know, I walk the streets of Zaragoza, you know, where I live, the city I live in. And, you know, we're in Valencia right now for this tournament. Um, If you look out your window um, and travel around the cities, you don't see any protests. You don't see any officers. You don't see, you know, any people striking anywhere. And, you know, to see it on Instagram and to see it on Twitter, you know, it's like I'm in a completely different world right now. You know, I know what's going on through Mm -hmm. social media, but as far as me physically seeing it, I visually can't see what's going on. So it's, it's really, uh, it's a little weird for me as well. Gotcha. And, and what's the, has there been media coverage around it? Like what's been the, like, is, is, is the media coverage like uh, uh, almost like America's just on fire? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. it's, it, it's funny because when um, the virus came out, uh, COVID-19, Spain was at the top of the chain before America. So everybody would call me and like, yo, Dylan, is everything okay? You know, I see the numbers in Spain. I'm like, you know, I look outside, it looks like a regular day. Yeah, people aren't (laughs) going outside as much. You know, we're quarantined, but it's not as crazy as people thought it was. So now what I see, it looks ridiculous in America. And, you know, everybody I asked, even in Canada, I asked back home, you know, they say, you know, don't come home right now. And not because, you know, there's fire going up, but because of the protests and, you know, things happening. So it looks to Europeans and myself like America is burning down right now. It doesn't look like you yeah. even go outside. Right. Uh-huh. And it's and it's interesting because, I mean, Rob's in Brooklyn. I'm in New York. Mm-hmm. And like and like New York was the is the epicenter of the whole yes. world on this mm-hmm. thing. And, and yeah, it probably, I mean, Rob goes for runs outside. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like you can't even <laughs> yeah. do anything. I've seen um, yeah. a few people, you know, just having a regular lunch and behind them, you've seen protesters and I, I, you just think like, is this happening on every street that you turn on? I, I don't believe so, but the media makes it look like that. Yeah. Yeah. It is fascinating though, to, to highlight some of the contrast and just how different, it can be town to town and even street to street. Cause you're right. Like in Brooklyn, it's, yeah. you know, there are regular protests all the time, which is great. And it's, it's very exciting to see the energy and it's been very positive, yeah. but then, you know, I was just with actually with Chris out, out in Jersey um, over the past 24 hours. And it was, it is again, a very different yeah. world. And there's just, you know, none of that presence there. It's, yeah. it's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
I'm just curious um, because we, we look, this is a, I want to talk about racism in, in the United States and North America broadly, but, but I'm just curious, what's your experience been in Europe? Because you've been in Serbia, yeah, um, which is a country that I think many people know has had a, a checkered past with, with things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then broadly in like Western Europe is, I mean, there was rioting in, in Paris. Yeah. Uh, I can remember a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious what your experience has been yeah. in Europe. Um, well, uh, when I started off in Serbia, you know, uh, I played for a team called Red Star and, you know, they were, they're known as the big Serbian powerhouse. You know, they play all around Europe. And, you know, when I was there, I was through, there was three black guys on our team and, you know, I had a blonde patch. So, you know, I was very noticeable to the fans and the fans loved me. So, you know, when I'd walk on the streets, you know, I would never experience racism. You know, I they would actually treat me like a celebrity. But we actually played a game in Montenegro, which is the uh, country right beside. And Serbia and Montenegro, you know, have a rivalry um, from, I think, a war back in the day. And the fans, they were crazy. And it wasn't just because um, – it was because the jersey I wore. If I was on their team and I would, they had black guys, it would have been completely fine. But because I was on Red Star, they had to find a way how to, you know, throw me off my game. So, you know, they would spit at me. But they were spitting at all the Red Star players. But when I experienced racism was they were doing the monkey. They were acting like monkeys and doing monkey signs. And that was the only time that I experienced racism in Europe, but I don't think it was because I was a black man because they had black guys on their team. It's just because I was wearing the rival team jersey. Mm. Now, when they would come to visit you guys, mm-hmm. would your fans locally do the same thing? I'm just yeah, and that's a good that question was... because my boy he actually played on the other team, and he said when he came, he thinks our fans are the craziest in the world. I don't know if they it was any racial innuendos to him but i know that you know our fans are throwing bricks at them and things like that and i don't know i know it's crazy and i I don't think it was it had been to a race but just because the jersey he wore now has there been like is there any reckoning with that like as a player Mm -hmm. are you you hearing that are you are you yeah like obviously like how 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 do you feel about that in the moment yeah yeah like it's not i get it's 94 by 50 but it gets a little bit different when people are 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 hurling racial insults and 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 bricks yeah when i uh when we played there you know it was it was crazy and i i looked at the there's officers with big ak-47s like hundreds of officers because they know how crazy the game gets and you know i was looking at them like they're not going to do anything but that's just part of their culture you know if there were no black guys. They would still be spitting on the floor. They'll still be throwing coins. They had um, tear gas thrown after the game because they won. And I wasn't more, I wasn't scared because of the color of my skin going into that environment. I was just scared because I had the wrong jersey on. Um, so it was, you know, obviously, you know, you play through it. You know, they don't do too much crazy stuff during the game. Um, but you know, it's still a crazy environment to play in. Yeah. So you said something that was interesting at the beginning of kind of that, that answer. Uh, I don't want to come back to that. Was you said, you know, it was a little bit different for me because as a basketball player, I'm like a celebrity. Mm-hmm. 
And I've heard that before. Um, as you know, we got we got connected because of uh, Daryl Reynolds. Yeah. And offline, um, you know, he talked about that a little mm-hmm. bit. Talk me through that, like, not only in Europe, but just in general, like, as a celebrity. I want to dig into that statement mm-hmm. that you made a little bit before about as a celeb, like, someone with celebrity status yeah. in general, dealing with issues of race. How is that? How have you? How is that different than someone who doesn't have that yeah. status? Um, because it's like you don't know sometimes how to approach something. You don't know what to say. Because I feel like when you have that celebrity tag on you, if you say one thing, people could take it a completely different way, and you know, comments, you know, co- negative comments come in. If you said you know for the riots going on if you go the riots are a good thing you know people are finally listening then you know half of your followers are like you know what do you mean it's a good thing you know they're burning things and now they're not on your side anymore if you don't say anything then half your followers are like you know why aren't you saying anything you have a big voice you have influence so when you're a celebrity it's just like you tiptoe on what you can say and what you can't say because you know it's going to get misconstrued any which way. Right. Have Have you felt like you've had an obligation to come out and and speak on this particular issue or even other issues as well too? Given your platform? yeah, yeah, for this one, uh, for sure, because I've experienced racism. Um, you know, not at the extent of you know a lot of people, but you know, in my own right, and you know, I think you know if I didn't say something or took a stand then, you know, I wouldn't be true to myself, regardless of how people looked at me. And, you know, I didn't go into too much detail with, you know, the things I post, but, you know, just trying to keep people informed, you know, trying to give my own personal experiences with it. And, you know, just keeping it not surface level, but, you know, not digging too deep into it, because I'm still learning myself about my own culture, and about what's going on. Can you talk to me, talk to us about um, that experience you mentioned you had some experiences with racism mm-hmm. can you talk about some of the experiences that you've had just yeah. maybe a couple examples so uh, me and my brother all my brothers and sisters they're all light-skinned uh, we have the same mother who's black uh, different father who's white and you know I used to go with my older brother when I was about eight years old he was about 11 and we used to go play with the neighbor and you know now my mom tells me, yeah, back in the day, they used to look at me and you a little funny because, you know, we were black. But, you know, he, we'd go play with a friend and my brother would go into the gate and I would have to stay outside the gate. And I never understood it. Um, you know, my brother didn't either. He was young. He just thought, I thought maybe I was just young. So I'd stand out there for about 30 minutes while they played inside mm-hmm. and then we'd go home. And, you know, I just thought, you know, I was just a young guy. I just had to wait till I was older. And looking back at it now, my brother realized, like, you know, I didn't know that was happening. I didn't realize it. We never told my parents. They probably would have realized and said, don't play over there anymore. But, you know, later in life, you know, I realized that that was what was happening at the time. Yeah. So you're so just to lay lay it out for people, you're and you mentioned this, you have an adoptive stepdad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. And you're and and you share the same mother. So your brothers are lighter skinned. Yeah. Than you are. Exactly. And and so your brother was because your brother's half white. Yeah. Right. So 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 your brother was allowed in with certain neighbors. Yeah. And they were all white families as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's and, and you're and you're reckoning with that in 
as, as a young as a young boy. Yeah. And you don't even real and you I didn't, didn't realize I didn't even realize it. And even now, you know, fast forwarding, uh, I think it was, you know, a couple months ago, my daughter is lighter than my brothers and sisters. And, you know, she if you look at two baby pictures, we are identical, but she just has lighter skin. But, you know, <laughs> a few months ago, somebody, and he's European, he asked me, oh, is, is he, she adopted? Uh, you know, my TikTok, I have a big following on TikTok. And, you know, we do funny videos and somebody said, hey, you know, the baby doesn't even look like the father. And then, you know, there was met a lot of people who started saying, you know, they, they look alike, you know, they just have different skin color. And, you know, there's hundreds of comments every day on our TikTok videos, great comments. But obviously, that's the one comment that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And it doesn't bother me, but it's just something you think about because I just see her as my daughter, but to somebody else, they could see something different just because she's so light. Right. How does, how does that, how does, I mean, that's gotta be tough, right? To see that. I mean, obviously you've, you've dealt with mm-hmm. it through your life too, but like, how do you, how do you feel seeing It's that? tough because, you know, I grew up, you know, with people asking, oh, you know, are you adopted in my own family? So yeah. I thought, you know, when I have a child, my my wife actually thought that our daughter would be darker because my brothers and sisters are darker lights on the light skin scale, but she ended up being lighter. And obviously she's getting a little tan now because it's summertime, <laughs> but you know, when somebody brings it up, you know, obviously it's something that I think about not in a negative way, but you know, I'm more, I realize it now. And I think if we're in Canada or America, I don't think it's as prevalent, but because in Europe, mm. there's not many black and white couples. And when people see that, they think my daughter might be just white with a tan. But, mm. you know, it's something that, you know, I, I'm aware that might happen. And, you know, it's, it doesn't change how I look at my daughter. It doesn't change how I look at my family. It's just, you know, something that, you know, is definitely in the back of my mind. That's for sure. That's it. That's interesting. And by the way, I break in here. The videos of your daughter are <laughs> maybe the cutest thing on the internet. Yeah, it's like I can't even post my stuff on social media because nobody cares what I <laughs> want to see her now. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree, uh-huh. I, I candidly. <laughs> um, um, I, I love it. Your videos of your daughter are so adorable. Okay, she stole the phone the other day. That yeah. was hilarious. Yeah, that video that is, is going crazy. You know, everybody loves it. So much comments, you know, but, you know, I love that. You know, everybody loves her. And, you know, that's why we do it, you know, just to put smiles on people's faces. Yeah. So I want to I want to turn towards your experience growing up. I mean, we we touched on it with your growing up and with the neighbors, yeah. and that was in Canada. Yeah, Canada. Yeah. Um, and correct me if I have any of the details wrong. You grew up in Canada for and give, give us a give our users because are you are our, our, um, our listeners yeah. are probably like Canada. That's just one big place. <laughs> yeah. that just bugged. Give us a little bit of geography on where in Canada. Yeah. So I grew up in Brampton, which is a city right outside of Toronto. You know, we go to Toronto, you know, on weekends. This is about maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes outside of the city. Is it like a suburban yeah, community? Yeah, big suburban community. You know, we have every type of culture, white, black, Indian, you know, Asian, you know, everybody. In Brampton, you could find any type of culture. And race. So would you say, just to give, again, just to give our listeners like a picture here, mm-hmm. would you say that Brampton was like the main line 
in terms of like in terms of how densely populated it was like by Villanova like yeah. or or is it more dense than that like a like more of like an Ardmore or like a Man I think it's it's more yeah yeah it's not definitely not like a mainline type of place yeah, yeah it's more mixed it's a little yeah yeah more more dense more mixed yes, than, than that 100%. Yeah. okay so so you're you're still so you're still kind of like you're on the edge of Toronto yeah uh, you're like really on the edge yeah. not you're not yeah okay gotcha um and even there in that in that mixed race mixed diverse area you were still dealing yeah with... because at the time uh we we were moving you know houses you know my dad was getting different jobs and i think you know that was more of a we're gonna save up to get a bigger house because that was our first we lived in apartments a lot of our lives and then that was our first actual house so i think that was you know in a neighborhood that was more uh, lower income. And, you know, I think that's why we've seen and dealt with those type of people. Because once we moved out of there, I never experienced racism after that. Mm. So I think that, that area was predominantly white. And then that's when we moved out of there because of, you know, how my mother felt and, you know, and then we got a bigger house after that as well. Gotcha. Okay. Understood. So th- then you came during middle school i want to say like you were like 12 13 14 well, right years old? my uh freshman freshman year of high school freshman year of high school so you're like 14 15 yeah, years exactly. old at this point and and you just get you just ship off to to new york yeah and it wasn't just regular which you see on tv new york my my uh my uncle lived in long island and it was a great he was a realist he worked with real estate and he had a big old house in long island predominantly white where in long island um valley stream Okay. Yeah. Valley Stream. Well, predominantly white. Then the school was in the Bronx, and we're not talking about just regular Bronx. We're talking about, you know, this. It was a small school that was a project, two floors. I think maybe five hundred people went to the school, and you know, it was just a. It was shell shocking, even for myself. So. By the way, I just want to break in here. You did a great interview with your dad oh, yeah. that, that Rob and I both watched and recommended. Uh-huh. We're not going to cover every topic that you covered there because that was like a really good background on your life. Yeah. But like, but like fascinating interview. But I, 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 I'm just curious, like, how did you get from like, like, I, obviously it took a lot of time, mm-hmm. but how did you get from Valley Stream in Long Island, which to give our listeners a little background yeah. if they're not from Long Island, is like a little bit outside Queens yeah. in Nassau County. Uh-huh. It's a Nassau County, so it's technically Long Island, yeah. um, but it's but it's it's kind of on the border with Queens. Yeah. And how did you get from there? Like what, what, Let me tell what you. method of transportation? Let me tell yeah. you. So I'd wake up. So I was so, I, when I went to New York, I was dedicated I, I knew that was a mecca basketball. At the time, you know, everybody was coming out of New York City. So I would get, I'd, my alarm would be at 4.30. I'd give myself 30 minutes to get ready. So by the time 5 o'clock hit, I'd be walking out the door. Obviously, the bus, the first stop was 15 minutes walking from my house. So I'd walk at 5 o'clock, get to the bus at 5.15. I'd wait out there. It could have been 10 minutes. It could have been 30 minutes. For that first bus to come, I'd get on the bus and we'd go to Queens. It'd take about an hour, about an hour to Queens because, you know, traffic and things like that. And then, oh, sorry, half hour to Queens. Is this, is this public transit? Public transit. Or is this yeah. school? Public transit. Public okay. transit. And yeah, I, I, I had to figure out myself. I got lost the first week, but my uncle, he was a tough guy and I needed that because he's like, you're just going to have to figure it out. 
And he knew once I figured it out, you know, I'd be able to do a lot more. So 30 minutes to Queens, I'd get off, I'd get, I'd get a coffee, I'd get tea actually at the time, a tea and a bagel. And then I'd jump on the bus and that would take me all the way to the Bronx. It took an hour and a half. So I'd take an hour and a half bus. It was literally the first stop to last stop. And once I get off, I'd get there around eight o'clock, maybe 7.45. I'd go through you know, school, we'd have practice. And then from practice, it'd probably end around nine, about 10 o'clock. My coach was from Queens. He would drive me to Queens from the Bronx. And then from the Bronx, I mean, from Queens, I would have to take that same bus back home. And I'd get home about 1130 every night and have to do it all right all over again. Jeez, that's yeah, crazy. That's wild. wild. Yeah. I don't know so, what else. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to play basketball. Yeah, well, you've always been a journeyman. We'll uh-huh. get into that later in the interview. But you yeah. like to you like to you like to move around. I do. I do love it. I did it. I've done it in Europe. I did it in high school. I do love it. So you're coming from from, you know, suburban, suburban town, town. And, yeah. In Canada, and then all of a sudden, boom! Here you yeah. are, in New York City. Okay, it was a little crazy. <laughs> in the Bronx, in, in yeah. the Bronx, in yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Um, so you, so uh, I'm just curious what the experience was like between Canada and the United States mm-hmm. on issues of on issues of race. I'm still on this. I'm still yeah. here on this topic yeah. on, on issues of on issues of race. Like, what, is there a lot of difference, or is it kind of like North Americans kind of all have a similar yeah. culture in that regard? I can't. I'm just curious. Yeah, I can't lie to you. It's not, it's nowhere close from Canada and America. Um, you know, Canada, obviously, we're not <laughs> perfect. Um, there's still race issues, but when comparing to America, I didn't see race until I went to America. I didn't realize the difference <laughs> between black and white as prevalent as it was until I got to America. You know, people would talk about it more, people would, you know, have actions to it more. Um, in Canada, you know, there's so much diversity, not just black and white, Indian, you know, Asian. And when I got to America, it was just more of an issue than it ever was in mm. Canada. Is it, is it that Canada, like, because you grew up in a, like, I'm sure if you grew up in like some parts of Canada, yeah, it'd be yeah, a little bit different, yeah, but, yeah. but, but you grew up in a metropolitan region. Yeah. Is it just that it was less segregated um yes i think so i think there was okay. there's more of a mix in canada you're not gonna have your predominant more you have predominantly white areas but it's not like other races won't move into that area um like brampton i think it was predominantly white at a time but now if you go there now it's predominantly indian so you know i think okay. the cultures and the races they mix more in canada than in america i feel like this is bored off for whites this is bored off for blacks and it's not as much mixed and there's there's they were getting into like the systemic issues yeah. part because there was a lot there that there was there was design there yeah in the united states uh-huh. F, you know so so but we're not not going to dig into all of that yeah <laughs> but the that that happened by design. Yeah. Um, um, so I am curious. I want to talk about your time at college, Dylan. Yep. And specifically, can you give us a little bit before we start? Just I want a little bit of a background. Like you went to three Rice, Villanova yeah. and Oregon, and they're all very different schools from everything I've read about them, etc. But give me yeah. a little bit of context of campus makeup. I think people know Rice is in Houston and Villanova is. Yeah. And we all know where Villanova is and we know where Oregon is, but give me give me a little bit about the campus makeup. Yeah, so at Rice, it was actually right in the center of Houston, uh, but it was gated off uh, to the actual city, which was pretty dope. 
Um, you had the campus life, and then you could just go right into the city. Um, predominantly white there. You know, you had uh, other black students, but most of them were athletes. Uh, still some regular students, uh, which wasn't too bad. There, the celebrity tag, you didn't have at Rice. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think they honestly treated the, the athletes not bad at all in any regard, but you were just another student that went there when you played a sport, if it wasn't baseball, because Rice is very good at baseball. Um, at Villanova, um, you know, you guys know Mainline, uh, you know, the rich of the rich, which was, <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a great experience because my high school, my prep school I went to in Chicago, well, right outside Chicago Lake Forest, it was uh, all kids of millionaires. Um, so, you know, it wasn't a shell shock to me because, you know, I, I was with I was with though that group of people for uh, two years in high school. So, you know, I was able to adjust very quick. Um, there, definitely, you had that celebrity tag on you, which was, I won't say I hated it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, finally, Oregon, um, it was a little more uh, quiet, I think. Um, obviously, they were big on sports, but, you know, it was in Eugene, Oregon, which was in a wild town. But, you know, it, it was my first college town because, you know, Villanova's great, uh, Rice is great, but I felt Oregon was a college town because that's all they actually had. Um, so, you know, um, it was a mixture of people there. Um, you most, I think most regular students were white and a little mix. And then most of the athletes were, uh, minorities as well. Um, but you know, it was great there, especially when we went to the final four, that was when the celebrity status went, you know, skyrocket. Yeah, right. Sure. I'm sure. So, so we talk about celebrity status a little bit and we, in your time in Serbia, I'm, I'm curious um, I want to dig into that concept a little bit because I'm getting the sense that the celebrity status while you're at a school, you know, obviously you're, you're a black student at the school, you're, you're, you're an athlete, etc. But I get, I'm, I'm getting the sense that that celebrity status really had an impact as to how you think that you might have been treated yes. by the – I'm not talking about by the administration. I'm talking about by your classmates. I think it was administration too because okay. I had some teachers – and I would have a big game and they wouldn't stop the class. But I remember at Oregon one time I was in my master's program and I, I've, we just beat UCLA or something. And the teacher was a big fan and he made everybody stand up and clap for me. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, everybody did treat you that way. And it, it was, it was good at times. It was bad at times. There's times where, you know, there's things you couldn't do or, you know, people said, you know, how do you guys lose this game? You know, but, you know, I can't lie to you. It, it definitely made college a little easier. Yeah. Was the experience different in that you felt like you were secluded from the other students? Or was it that, like, like at Rice, was, mm -hmm. were you just any other student and just happened yeah. to be an athlete? 100%. Okay. At Rice, you, you just, you know, you're one of everybody else. And it's not a bad thing. Everybody was on the same playing field. Uh, we went to parties and it wasn't like, oh, we're the basketball team. They're here. They let them get in. You know, I just had to go through the same procedures as everybody else. Uh, right. But when you get to the Villanovas, you get to Oregon's, um, yeah, you definitely de de have a different status, whether it's, you know, people being a little more light on you because of your schedule or, you know, if you want to get into the parties or, you know, when you show up to eat somewhere, my campus, campus corner was called, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. When you go to Campus Corner, you know, they're like, oh, you know, come on to the front, you know, things like that. So, you know, everybody <laughs> treated you a little different. Oh, that's great. So I want to touch on, I want to touch on your experience with Hoops on the Hudson and other like Villanova donor events. Yeah. And, you know, Hoops on the Hudson, like Rob and I can relate with because we've been. Yeah. Um, and so, but the impression I got, even sitting there, mm-hmm. was like, we're just getting paraded around. Yeah. Like, here's the basketball team, yeah. and here's this all white audience, yeah. and we're just standing on a stage getting paraded around. And like, it felt like it, like it was a fun event. Like, trust mm-hmm. me, like Rob and I had plenty of times where we were drinking <laughs> and having a good time. Yeah. But like, it also felt weird, and I felt like mm-hmm. if I was in your guys' shoes, it would be weird. So I'm just curious as to like. Like at Villanova, but also broadly, like yeah. events like that, mm-hmm. was that like was that like a weird experience for you guys? Yeah, you know, I think you know, looking back at it now, um, I think it definitely was. I don't think we realized, you know, what was happening at the time. Not saying that it was wrong, but it did feel like that, where it's like, hey, here are the trophies. Everybody want to look at the trophies. But at the same time, I think Coach Wright did a good job to put us in an environment like that. Because, you know, when we left Villanova, whether it was when you graduated or whether it was like me when I transferred, I always said Coach Wright got us prepared for those situations that we're going to be in. And like that celebrity status goes, a lot of guys in college, they have that celebrity tag and they feel like, they're above the world and they don't know how to, I guess you say, mold it into the right way. And they would leave college and go to events like that and they don't know how to act. They don't know how to present themselves. So half of the idea is, yeah, you know, it was, you know, the black bas- mostly black basketball team in a white crowd. But at the same time, we were able to adapt to that environment before we got in the real world. So we knew what to expect. Gotcha. And what was what was the message that you got? I'm just curious, like at, at all these schools where like you're going to get recruited. I understand that you guys had that you guys. I'm saying you guys broadly in the sense of like in the sense of a lot of athletes went to preparatory schools and yeah. and, and things of that nature, um, especially um, coming into the higher higher levels of, of of basketball and other sports. But what was the message that was sent? In terms of in terms of hey you're going to a school like a Villanova which is predominantly white yeah like you know twenty percent thirty percent diverse let alone black population or anything else yeah what was the message that was sent whether it be from coach or from high school coaches or or others about attending these schools and being and being a black athlete at these schools that's a good question that's a good question actually they never really bring it up to you they don't. Because you see, I come to Villanova, I don't see myself as, okay, you know, I'm going into a predominantly white school and I'm a black guy. I didn't see that. I, all I seen was right. Kyle Larry, Randy Foy. They were successful. Everybody looked at them as a basketball player. Mm. And when you're a basketball player, regardless if you're black and let's say a fan grew up as he has never talked, been around black people, never talked to black people, but he's going to love me because I have his Villanova jersey on. So right. you, when we went to schools that were predominantly white, we never thought of, oh man, we might be the odd 
men out because we were the stars. People didn't care what color we were. They just cared, are you going to make our team win? And yeah, it probably is a bad thing to think about. But at the same time, we didn't get negative whack for mm. it. We were just yeah. the people that everybody loved. Mm. No, that's uh, and that's interesting because I bet that would differ from the non-athlete experience. Hundred yeah, percent. Um, yeah. So it, it really does speak to that concept of celebrity. Um, yeah. what was the message sent from Coach Wright about speaking out about issues? Like, did you guys talk about issues as a team? And then mm-hmm. what was the what was the message sent about? Then broadcasting your feelings, whether it be on social media or Coach Rod always, you know, explained to us that he dealt with well, he yeah, in the past he's dealt with you know black athletes, and we all knew that, and we always knew that Coach Wright was good with you know, even though he was white, he he grew up around you know black guys and was coach coach black guys and. You know, that was big for us because, you know, you could go to some schools where, you know, there's a white coach who doesn't know how to relate to the black players that he had. And I always said, um, there's always a black assistant coach if there's a white head coach because you need somebody to have that connection to the black players. And, you know, Coach Wright was always, you know, good with, you know, if we had an issue with something to come to him and he would deal with it. Um, you know, I, I think Coach Wright is an amazing coach. I think, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But I think he was a better per, a better man to create men in his program than he was teaching them basketball. And he's a great, he's great, great basketball coach. But he taught us how to be right. men in the real world. He, he knew that we were black. He knew that we'd have challenges. And, you know, if we had a problem, we could always go to it. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just interesting to see because the school and Jay Wright and, and in general has been much more vocal in the last couple weeks with everything that's gone on yeah. since the um, since the incident in Central Park and the Breonna Taylor and, and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd mm-hmm. murders. But but before that, I always got the sense, hey, we're going to stay out of this and yeah. hands off any yeah. topics like that. Yeah, and I think, you know, when we were at Villanova, we I think Tony Cheneau was the only guy there who really dug into those issues from, uh, you know, a personal uh, perspective. I won't lie to you. After I got out of school, I started realizing my own culture. I started wanting to dig into my own background, you know, being a black athlete, being a black male. But when we're there, you know, as kids, we're naive to everything that's going on. So I don't think we asked the questions that we should have. I don't think we talked about the things we should have. Of course, you know, school, you know, in college, I don't think they talk about it enough. I know there's always a black community in a predominantly white college and you know you see them and I know I knew all the members that were in this community at Villanova and you know I think I should I probably should have done more I should I probably should have went to a few meetings but to me and to other guys that wasn't important at the time which it should have been but to us it was basketball it was you know people us being on tv trying to get to the NBA we weren't checking our culture and because we weren't checking for it, the program didn't have check for it. Wow. Now, did you, in that experience, did you get pushed by people? So like you said about like the meetings, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing mm. you're talking about like, um, like the Black Cultural Society and other yeah. multicultural um, okay. organizations on campus. Well, were, were the people in those that that were non-athletes in those communities, were they pushing you guys? Can you I, guys speak up about this? I would say they, 
I wouldn't, I would use the word. They encouraged us to, okay. to come to their meetings. They encouraged us to get, you know, things out, you know, Oh, we're having a meeting. Could you, you know, get this out? I think social media now is so much bigger than it was even when I was in college. And I think if we could have done more for our culture, our community, especially with the voice we had. Um, but, you know, I think if we had more of an interest, what we, which we do now because everything going on, uh, it could have been a lot better. But then at the same time, you have to run it by your coach. You have to run it by your program because if you say something that they don't agree with, even though it's about your culture, then it, you could get in trouble for it. So it, it would definitely be uh, an interesting aspect how the kids go on now when there's an issue and they're still going to a predominantly white school and see what they do. It's so interesting to kind of, to kind of talk through that because for a lot of people, college is a time where like you speak your mind and you just are like, you know, like for me, I mean, like you speak your mind and sometimes you don't even necessarily mean everything you say, but you're Uh just saying shit because you want to, yeah, because, because you got to kind of get it heard and get it out in the atmosphere. And then you could kind of learn from that discussion. Mm -hmm. And so it's odd to hear, um, that's not the right word, but it's interesting to hear that like, you know, in, in a space where you're a celebrity, like on one hand, you have an opportunity to have an amplified voice and to yeah. and to and to be a megaphone for mm-hmm. a particular cause or issue. And at the other hand, like you feel restricted as to what you actually can say. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, and then they people and not, I don't I wouldn't say it's brainwash. I think people try to educate you, but you know, you say the wrong thing when you're trying to make it to the MBA out of college and you know, people could run with it for your entire career. I've seen guys who tweet something out or they're in a video and, you know, they were just doing something or saying something in the moment. And then you say, oh, NBA scouts are not going to like this and they're going to bring up issues that aren't there. So, you know, it's hard to you know want to vocalize your opinion, but then you think of your career as well. And I've seen Kyrie, what he said, you know, nobody, we want to make sure that we're focused on you know, what's right. And I I do agree with him, but there's still some guys who are still making league minimum who need to go play and they need their careers to take another step. So yeah, Kyrie, you could say it because you're at the top. If Zion's in college, he can say it. But other guys who are on the border level of, will he make it, will he not? You can't say it as much as people think. Yeah, so just a little background for our listeners who may not be aware. What's been going on is that the NBA has agreed to terms with the players association about coming back and playing at like a, in a bubble in, in Walt Disney world during the summer to finish the season. Um, and now a couple of star players are coming out and saying, and saying this was just like LeBron just was just pushing this through and, and we don't want actually want to come play because it'll be a, the coronavirus, but it's really, it's really like, it's afraid of being a distraction yeah. from the black lives matter protests yeah. that are still going on in every city. Um, so that's just to give a little context and background yeah. as to what Dylan, you were referring to. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an interesting point. I mean, I'm, I'm sure in the baseball realm too, people are also having the same feelings because yeah. like, you know, baseball rookies get paid shit. Exactly. And so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. If I relatively have a, speaking, yeah, if I and I, I'm all for the cause, I'm 100% for the cause. But if I have a daughter, I have to feed, then, you know, do I sacrifice, you know, my daughter's livelihood 
for, you know, it, there's a, and I think you could still push it through. You could still push your message through by playing, but still at the end of the day, not everybody makes Kyrie money. Not everybody has LeBron James money. We still have to work and we could still speak on the issues, but we could still play at the same time. It's interesting because I do feel like in the NBA in particular, other sports notwithstanding, but the NBA in particular, Adam Silver as the commissioner, I feel like players have a little bit more leeway. Yeah to speak up in the NBA. And so I do feel like there's an element where if they come back, they're still going to get that platform and they could almost like help keep the conversation going. At the same time, I do get the notion of like, like, I don't know if you watched the Dave Chappelle. Oh um, yeah. 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 I've seen it. 30 minutes. He he goes, Uh we don't need me right now. No one needs to hear celebrities right now. People need Uh the streets are speaking for themselves. So I, I I also get that notion, which yeah. I think is what Kyrie was kind of getting. Yeah, at. I think yeah, I think there's two two perspectives on it. You know, there's the you know, yeah, the celebrities could you know voice their opinions because they have such a big voice. But at the same time, you know, maybe it's the people's fight right now. It's not just <laughs> what the celebrities are saying. So you know, I think it, it goes both ways. You know, I don't think anybody has the right answer, um, but I think there's just different methods to you know how we're trying to get to where we're trying to get to. Right. Cool. All right. So thank you for that. That was that was a really interesting conversation. I do want to talk a little bit about basketball. And so what I want to talk about, Dylan, is I want to talk about everything that transpired with you leaving Villanova. So yeah. so it's the 2014-2015 season. Dowell Reynolds, who we're close with, still maintains that that was like the best team that he played on. Come on, uh, I'll be trying to tell people that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he still contends that, but you guys have, you guys just destroy everybody that year. Um, just rip through the M rip through MSG in the big East tournament. You get into the tournament. I think you guys beat Lafayette. Like Lafayette. Yeah, yes. you murdered them. It was like a 40-point blowout, right? Yeah. And then and then you get to NC State, which I can tell you, Rob and I were watching the selection show and we're just yeah. screaming at the television when it was Damn. NC State or LSU because we were like, yeah. what terrible. the fuck? Terrible. Because NC State's terrible matchup. Two, like just two weeks previous or a couple weeks previous, like they beat mm-hmm. Duke and like yes. and like who was a who went on to win the national championship. And I'm like, why yeah. the fuck is this team an eight? Why do we get them? Yeah, right. It's so funny you say that because when uh, as players, when it's selection Sunday, no matter where you're at, if you know you're in selection Sunday, normally the top teams I think do this. You'll always be like, you'll look at all the brackets and you'll try to convince yourself, oh, we got the easy side. But you know in your mind that anybody you play could beat you. So you try to convince yourself. But when we seen NC State, we knew it was going to be a dog fight. And not saying we, we jumped over the first round, but you know, not no, teams don't normally lose in the first round there. So yeah. we knew NC State was about to be a dog fight. Yeah. On top of that, there's a lot of baggage for the team coming into that, like the program. Yeah. Because we, so Villanova went to the Final Four in 2009, and then 2010 had a really good team and flamed out in the second round. 2011 flamed out late and and then ended up losing. The year prior, the team was really good and ended up Mm -hmm. losing to eventual national champion UConn. So this is a program that had gone through like a three or four year period of making Sweet 16, Elite Eights, and Final Fours. Yeah. And now is in the midst of like a four or five year period of not being able to get out of the first weekend. And yeah. here you are, you're like this this awesome team that's just destroying everybody, <sighs> and yeah, you get into yeah. this game. 
Now, what I want to talk about is, and it's going to be painful, and I'm sorry, but <laughs> no, I, no, I've talked I, about it many times. Yeah. I still watch the the clip. Yeah, I still watch I, the clip. I want to talk about the shot. the shot. So you get the ball. Oh God, yeah. you're going you're at, there. Hey, it's cool. Uh, it's life. It's life. Uh, I'm easy. talking. Okay. About it. But, but do what I, you gotta do. I want to talk about. I want to talk. I, I want to get there. Like, look, you get the shot. You're wide open. There's no reason why you shouldn't have shot the I've ball. I hit that shot nine out of ten times. Yeah. So you're, I, would have made it too because my I, let me let me run through it j i think it was jp he slipped the ball screen or something and i did my move and for a split second i said yo he's driving should i pass this but that split second as a, a shooter knows if i didn't think that it's a swish but because i thought that it threw the shot off just a little bit yeah i, I knew it right when i left my hands because oh. i know I don't care. I could go one for nine, one for 10. You could ask anybody. When I was in college now, I will still take that shot any time of the day. It was the right shot. Was, I mean, absolutely. It, I know. It, it was I, the right had, shot. I had to take it. Had to take yeah. it. I know. You had to I take know. it. I think, I think some people in the fan base, like, like I think Booth and Hilliard were both hot, so I think people were saying, "Yeah, oh, <laughs> yo, Darren is killing." I yeah, kill yeah. Him. Well, Darren just shot us yeah. back into the game. That was wild. He did. He did. Um, he did. I mean, he was teeing up from like half court. It seemed like. Yeah. Um, but if people re- re- remember, everybody wasn't having their best game. Darren started killing at the end of the game. Yeah. When we hit it to come back, but it was the game, and everybody has it where everybody's just off at the exact same yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, Chef couldn't hit a layup. Yeah. yeah it like, yeah. Right? Yeah. It was like there was I a think he got on dunked hoop. on that game too. Yeah. 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 So look, that was a problematic game, obviously. <laughs> Painful for yeah. everybody. But I want to talk about so okay, so you missed the shot. So what goes through a basket? Mm-hmm. What goes through your head when miss the shot, the team loses? Like what's going through your mm-hmm. mind in that moment? Talk me through how you're feeling after the game. Uh, at that point, it was actually the same feeling I had. Uh, when I, you guys watch Final Four, when we missed uh, at Oregon, when we missed that rebound, I, in my yep. mind, I said if we got that rebound, I was going to the basket, gonna have a layup, gonna be on the cover of Sports Illustrated because I just made that layup. Right. After I missed that shot, what goes through my mind is that shot could have changed my entire career. I don't mm-hmm. know for the better, for the worse, but at the moment, it would have changed my entire career. I don't know if I would have done better after it or worse after it, but we would have went. To the next round and that just kept playing in my head so so digging into that are you like kicking yourself over that for like a like how long is the grieving process or or do you are you just taught to have a short memory and kind of get over it no um well i i don't know if it was all villanova fans but i'm sure it was was sending me death threats actually wait whoa Really? Yeah. Uh huh. It's crazy cow. because I don't know if you guys remember my brother Syracuse. They lost to Daytona. Yep. Dayton. Sorry. And uh, after that game, he got some threats like you know, drive your car off a bridge. Uh, but then when I missed that shot, it was yeah the next. So he missed that shot the year before I shot it. I shot that shot. So they were like, drive off a bridge. I hope your hands break and you can never play. And he was getting these death threats and like career-ending threats. So then I did it, and he texted me right after the game. He goes, yo, you're going to get some emails or tweets, everything. Just make sure you keep your head up. Because I was in that same position. I got him too. I said, he said you should quit basketball. I don't know why you came here. Just crazy stuff. Right. And I was like, yo, it was just a shot. But now it builds you 
as a man and as a basketball player because I know how I felt missing that shot, but I know how I feel when I make those type of shots because I've done it before. And I will continue to shoot that shot because i rather go out on my own. So not say it's a team game. i rather put the game on my back than rely on somebody else. I, I've got to ask about, so you're getting those threats. I mean, that's that's got to do yeah. something to you like mentally, right? I mean, like you're obviously like mm-hmm. a super positive guy and it, it's awesome yeah. to be able to brush that off. But there's got to be some part of you like in the moment that's like what is this like i mean that yeah yeah it's got to be right yeah, don't get me bit. yeah in the moment because now we lost and i have the entire summer now so i have to think about because i'm not playing another game until next season so i knew people were going to talk about it i knew everybody knew that there was uh that was the next was it yeah the next year i transferred right yeah yes yeah, so everybody knew that was on the table as well. I didn't want people to think that if I did, then was that the reason? You know, it was so much going on. And, you know, to hear those things and, you know, me, I dedicated everything I could to Villanova basketball while I was there. And, you know, to hear that, you know, it was it was tough. It was, I, I thought about it a lot. But, you know, I even I still sometimes I go back and I could find I have synergy. I could find the shot and I watch the shot and I'm like, yo, if that would have went in, you know, things would have definitely been different. But then I think as well, if I make that shot, we win the national title. I stay at Villanova because there's no way you transfer to be a starter. I don't meet. And obviously this is looking down. I don't meet my wife. Yep. I don't have my daughter. Right. So then it, I think it's just it was all connected in this crazy universe way but it, it it just had to come with me missing the shot you actually answered the next question i was going to ask i was like if that shot goes in you guys make let's not even say you win the national title because we go to final four easy. yeah final four i do think would have been would have definitely happened yeah. i think the i think that was a loaded year in college basketball so yes. like so like to predict a title like is is tough but yeah it's tough but i do yeah. think that that would have broken that would have broken gotten us over the hump as a program yeah. and then you guys would have played free and easy in, in the sweet 16 elite yes. eight and just blew everyone out but exactly i i am i do have to ask that question if you hit the shot let's just say we flame out in the sweet 16 are you staying in villanova that's a great question i love it i love the tough one <laughs> yeah <laughs> So throughout the year, uh, you know, Coach Wright, you know, he wrote about me in his book, which was super dope. But, you know, he'll tell you, you know, we we didn't have, we were so alike. We did this personality test as players. And his birthday is like a day before after mine. And we, he believes we are so alike that we could clash. And, you know, my style of play, if you guys watch me now, I'm running down the court like this, looking at defense. That's not the Villanova way. Yeah. Villanova way is to go give And he knew that. And he knew I loved that stuff. But it was so such against what we did. And he would love what I did as a basketball player. But at the same time, I think he was really frustrated trying to make me dive on the loose ball, which I would do. But it's not. I want to hit the three. Yeah. Back three it's, it's, it's funny because so. the Villanova way is definitely that keep your head down. Like name, yes. name on the front of jersey only. Don't showboat. Yes. At the same time, though, it's like they're not mutually exclusive. Like, like, yeah, I got yes. the sense that you like to be a little bit of a showman, but like, I love, I love but, it. It's, it's, I call basketball showtime. When I but play. it's not like you weren't, it's not like you weren't like crushing it what, in the gym and, and yes. diving on the balls. And exactly. Yeah. You yes. just wanted both. I was, I was still, I wanted both. Yeah. And coach, right. He didn't love both, but I wanted yeah. both. And I think through the years, there was always that lingering thing in the air. You know, coach, right. Would say, you know, Dylan, you're, you're learning to play the Villanova way because Darren was there. JP been there. Daniel, he knew the Villanova way. Ryan was Mr. Villanova. Everybody always bought in so much. And I didn't say I wanted to be a rebel, 
I just, it wasn't me. And I tried, but it just wasn't yeah. me. And I still had success. But, you know, that was, there was that lingering thing. And they said, you know, Dylan's graduating. We, I knew it. He knew it. My parents knew it. The fans knew it. You know, they, everybody knew it was a possibility. But me and Coach Wright sat down and we said, yo, we're dedicating to this season. We're not going to worry about the future. And we got through it. And then after the game, you know, obviously I was like, there's a decision. I, I finished where I started at Villanova or I have the opportunity to leave. And, you know, I went in to Coach Wright's office. Literally, he called me in the day after we got back. Wow. And my heart was racing. Yeah. Not a lot of people know this. And he goes, Dylan, just, you know, I, I love you as a person, as a player. And I, I just have to know, are you staying or are you leaving? And, yo, my, my heart stopped. I had to tell him, I said, I'm not sure. Right. I, I didn't know what to say. I said, I'm not sure. But I, and he goes, okay, I just need to know by the end of tomorrow because wow. we need a recruit. Yes. I know. Wow. It was crazy. And the thing is, I wasn't even graduated at the time. So if I just messed around and got drunk for the next week and failed the class and I said, yo, I want to leave. But then I realized I couldn't. The next year I'm at Villanova, I look like an idiot. Right. So he was like, yo, Dylan, what are you doing? So I called my dad and I talked to him and I wanted, I, I love Villanova, but I just knew for my last year, I just wanted to play my type of basketball. And it's not, I'm not saying the Villanova way is wrong. I just knew it wasn't me. Coach Wright knew it wasn't me. And he 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 was mad that I, not mad, he wanted me to stay because I was there and he wanted to build me into a player he knew I could be. But, you know, that same day after I talked to my dad, I said, you know, I just want to do me. You know, I know it might be, it might be the wrong decision, but I just know I'm going to make the right one for me. So I went in his office. I told him, you know, I want to leave. And it was great. He, he he still let me use the weight room. He still let me go to open gym. And I don't want to name no names. I'm not throwing nobody under the bus. Some of the assistant coaches weren't as happy okay. as Coach Wright's decision to let me do this. I'm not saying we got into arguments, but there was a little mm. tension there. But Coach Wright, not for one second, made me feel bad about my decision. He just moved on. He said, this is what it's going to be. And we were, we still text now. We still talk. The assistant coaches who had the tension, they text me now like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. We were just angry because we really loved you. So I didn't know exactly I was leaving. But after that game and after the missed shot, I think it it kind of pushed me to the decision I wanted. It's interesting because I feel like, you know how like when you look back on time, like time compresses. And so you lose, especially from an outsider looking in, like you lose that sense of like, yeah. hey, there had to be decisions and like, and there was a process that. Yeah, yeah. people, people think, oh, Dylan, you know, I, these are two things I hear all the time. Dylan missed a shot for NC State. That's why he wanted to transfer. Not the reason. I was Jaylen just going to ask that. <laughs> yeah, yo, D Dylan's afraid of Jalen. No, <laughs> no. You could call me and Jalen Brunson. Yo, me and Jalen Brunson talk. Like, whether it's, yo, oh, your daughter's so cute. Or, yo, you know, you're doing great this season. Me and Jalen talk. You could ask him, yo, when I came up, when, when Jalen came on his visit, who was the one encouraging him to come? Who is the one who was like, I remember he came and, you know, he had questions. I was asking questions. Hey, you want to go to a party? What do you want to do? I never shy away from competition. Everybody said, oh, Josh Hart's going to start that year. I end up starting every game. What happened? I knew everybody thought that. Coach Wright thought that. I heard reporters saying that. I came in. I busted my ass. I got my spot. If Jalen would have came in, we yeah, we would have to share time with the guards. But I would have busted my ass every day to make sure that I was getting what I deserve. So that was not the reason. Everybody thinks that was me. Yeah, he's a great player. It would have been tough for all of us to play. But I ended up going to a school who still had 
had three guys, four guys who played in yeah. the NBA. So no, the, the, the Jalen conversation is interesting because like in the immediate year, like I don't necessarily get that. Cause like a couple of things, you know, being a Villanova fan, first off, Freshmen have it tough in the program. <laughs> yeah, freshmen have 100%. an uphill battle coming into Villanova. Yeah. So yeah, I, the only freshman I seen who flourished from the get go was Ryan, and Coach Wright was still on his ass every right. single day. So so like Jalen's coming in, and like like Jalen did end up starting, which I don't think he would have yeah. had you been there. Like you're coming in, you've gotten well, you've had three years of playing and a and a sit out and a transfer year. So you have four years of yeah. of 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 weight room and. And like in college athletics, yes, three years with Shaq, yes, and like, and I'm a senior. Do you oh. think a senior is just gonna bow down right. to a freshman? Right. And I'm an old senior too. And, so like, come and, on now. and not saying anything bad about Jalen, but you're a more athletic build than and yeah. player than Jalen. So it's not like it's not like that age oh, difference yeah. is like, oh, he's young and sprightly versus like, you know, this older Jalen yes. guy. You know, it's he was very skilled, but it's not like you would have a it's yeah. not like you were gonna like struggle with Jalen coming in to, to, to find the yeah. find the floor. And that's what I'm saying. Like we would we would have figured it out. I think we would have figured it out. We, I figured out with Darren, Ryan, Phil booth I, we would have figured it out a way there's no way i'm a starter all year and i'm gonna go to playing 10 minutes a game it's impossible right. but i need i need i do need to throw this in though i don't know if this ever come. you remember coach lang coach oh yeah, billy yeah. Lang. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. billy yeah. lang not a lot of people know this and I, i'm gonna get this out because not a lot of people know this so billy lang was the assistant coach and my sit out he came to recruit me with coach Wright when i was at rice my sit out year i worked out with billy lang every single day billy lang was because coach Coach Wright likes to build an overweight. I like to show time. Billy Lang was our bridge for me and Coach Wright. I came back that summer. I think I played with the Jamaican national team. And Billy Lang told me he was going to the Philadelphia 76ers. I, I wasn't angry that he left because it was a great opportunity. He was a great, he deserved it. But I knew that I would have had problems mm. because Billy Lang was not. I honestly think, and you, people could quote me on this. People might think I'm crazy. Billy Lang is an NBA development coach at the time. If Billy Lang stayed and I didn't get injured that year because I sat out, got injured, so I missed the first half, like the first seven or eight games. I think I would have been out of Villanova in two years. I 100% agree with that. I would have been an NBA prospect because I would have had an NBA guy developing me. Coach Wright would have understood me a little better. I had all the tools you can that jump through needed. the ceiling. And obviously, there's a little luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But I think I would have had a great shot at going to the NBA if all those things. But yep. it's life, you know. He left. I had to try to figure it out with Coach Wright. You know, it, it is what it is. But people don't realize the little small details and which came from me leaving. It, when it, I did. it is funny because it's funny that you say what you well, like people say to you, like, "Oh, it's the, the shot or Jalen." And it's funny is because like what I was gonna say is like when you compress time and think back on it, you think back of a few things. Yeah, people forget. Yeah, people are like, "All right." He's, People forget he's a senior. He graduated. He missed the shot versus NC State. We lost, and and Jalen's coming yeah. in. So therefore, like that was the those are the three things let that me, led him let to me the pack door. Up. And it's it's funny because it's like it's just Come not that. Now. It's it's like you know, it's not. There's so much stuff that went into it. Yeah, that's interesting. That that's that's so cool. I, I'm glad I'm glad we talked about that. So then so then okay. So, yeah, so you have to make a decision in like less than a week. Yeah, I said yeah, 24, 24 hours, hours, 24 hours. To, to move on yeah. and. 
and uh-huh. and you don't even know yeah. where you would go yet. So you're just deciding, am I going to stay? Nope. And you got to hope that there is like yeah. a that there is like a place for you to go. You're like it's like it's like having yeah, a job and, and leaving it, you, not knowing that you have another yeah. job lined up. Yeah, and what you, what made it a lot easier for me though, and <laughs> not saying. I'm not throwing any dirt anywhere, but my dad, he's a high school coach right now, but he's big on the AU scene. Coach Wright doesn't love AU style, AU coaches. My dad, he knew he had a lot of connections at school. So I think that Coach Wright doing that, he knew my dad would find me gotcha. something. It was it was, it was a tough call from Coach Wright, but it was one he had to make. And I think he would have gave me more time not know if he didn't know if he didn't think I had a, a basketball background already. So so you make that decision. That's obviously really tough. Then you're you're working on the weight room. You're having these. Yeah. You know, you're going through all of that. Are you <clears throat> feeling out different schools during that process? Like yeah. So right when uh, Coach Wright, you know, I told Coach Wright, he goes, okay, you know, I'm, and this is crazy. This is why I think Coach Wright is a great guy. He's like, all right, and when they call me, I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm telling you, you work hard. I'm going to tell them he's more of a two, but, you know, if you really work with him, he could be a one. Yo, he told me one day, listen to this. He said, Coach K called me about you. I said, <laughs> what? He said, yeah, Coach K, he's a, he's a real good friend. You know, I, I told him that you'll be great for their program. I said, yo, I'm leaving this man's school and he still has the respect for me to talk to these coaches. So then, you know, when the when it really got out public, it went crazy. My last five schools was Oregon, uh, Baylor, Duke, and I forgot the uh, Virginia, and I forgot the other one. But I and when I tell you I love Oregon. He told me Coach K called because I, I was going crazy when Coach Wright called me. I was like, oh, my God, he's a legend. I'm committing. I want yeah. to do it before my visit. When he said Coach when he said Coach K called, I wanted to commit to Duke that second. I said, no questions asked. The only reason why I did not attend Duke is because he said Derek Thornton was in high school. And if he goes up a grade, I think it's like yeah, three yeah, class yeah. or whatever yeah. you call it. If he, if he comes out early, we're going to take him. But if he doesn't, then you could sign. I wanted to go to Duke so bad. And Duke was the only school that didn't recruit my brother. And I was going to say, yeah, I got Duke. <laughs> he wanted Duke so bad, but I was going to say, I got Duke. He went to Duke. But so I would have been at Duke if they, if that kid didn't end up signing, which he ended up transferring. Yeah. But, you know, I ended up, Oregon was great. I think, you know, Oregon was a perfect school for me as well. But I, I just thought out that I was going to commit to do I think you found the right, I, I think wild. you did find the right landing spot. Yeah, I think um, so too. Because those were also like the Grayson Allen tripping years too. So I think you, you, you made a good move to get yeah. out of there. And I heard Coach, Coach K was just as crazy as Coach Wright. So I don't know if there's a, a Duke way and I wasn't stuck in that. I went to Oregon. And don't get me wrong, Oregon has their way of doing things, but it's more showtime. You yeah. know, the Nike effect. I, and that's what fits so, better. So now all of a sudden, you're you're picking Oregon. And now you're moving yourself after being in New York, Chicago, Texas, Philadelphia. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, you're going to Oregon, which is like a totally different universe yeah. in Eugene. Gene, which I know nothing about other than it doesn't yeah. seem like it's in close uh-huh. to anything. Yeah. It rains. It rains. Yeah. And, yeah. and candidly, it's a football school. Walk me through that transition. And I know we'll, we'll talk about the injury in a second. I'm just curious, mm-hmm. like you get there and like what? Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
what what vibe does that school have? Uh huh. So uh, luckily, the assistant coach there, uh, I knew I knew since I was about twelve years old, Mike Minica, and you know that made the transition easier. Uh, a guy named Dylan yeah. Brooks, I think you guys know him. He plays for Memphis Grizzlies. My father coached him since he was ten years old, so I knew him. So it was an easier transition knowing bases there. Uh, they were coming off a few years where they were good, but they were trying to build to get back to where they were after the alleged rape case. Oh, yeah. And I knew they were rebuilding, but I didn't want to go somewhere where they were set in, you know, their guys because, and they always had success because I still, it was my last year. I still had to make a bigger name for myself. So, you know, going there, you know, it. I knew I was going to transition. That was the easy part. It was how I was going to fit in. I, I was moving to the one at the time because Joe Young just left. I was supposed to be the point guard. So that was going to be adjustment. But, you know, Coach Altman would say, you know, that whole summer I worked my tail off and I was the best player in the gym at a time. Yet through the year, I don't know if that would have continued, but at the time I was playing my best basketball. Gotcha. Before so that. you get injured. And I got to tell you from even my perspective here, because tendency is is that you follow Villanova and you're just kind of like, oh, okay, Villanova. And then yeah. Dylan moved on. So, you know, okay. But I, I could tell you that I was like, and me and my friends were talking I'm like, oh man, that sucks. Like he goes there and he gets injured. And like, yeah. and like, you're now wondering for a long time of the year, right? It didn't, t- it wasn't like quick. Right. If I remember correctly, it wasn't quick like you getting injured and then getting the injury waiver from the NCAA. No, yeah, no. So, yeah, so I got injured a week before the season. They said I, I broke my foot. The doctor said, okay, we're going to do surgery right away and we're going to get you back in January. And I said, yo, January's too late. So I it came back early. I'm like, yo, there's no way I'm getting another year. So I came back in December, played two games, went up for a layup. My only points that year, score, came back, broke it again. So then I didn't I didn't even think to come back. Right when I broke my foot, I was like, okay, let's participate. I didn't think about that. It was about two weeks later or a few weeks later, I watched the national championship. It was Clemson against Alabama. And I was at my uh, weight trainer's house. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, yo, Dylan, yes, you can play professional basketball, but you can never get these college years back. You can never, the tradition, everything about it, you, you can't leave out on how you did. And I remember I watched that game and I looked down at my phone and I text Coach Altman. I said, hey, Coach Altman, not, I really want to come back. He goes, you sure you want to do this? I really want you back, but it's your decision. I know you've right. been through a lot. I said, yeah, I want to come back. So it's okay. Next day, we worked on the hardship wave and everything. And I didn't hear an ad. I would text in my compliance every day. Dylan, we don't have nothing. Dylan, I just write this. Dylan, they want to hear about this. I didn't hear back until so what's that? June. What's that doing to you mentally? Early June. Yeah. Oh, like- it's fucking me up. <laughs> like I'm just like I, I, I would be an, yeah. I would be seeing a therapist. I'd, I'd be uh-huh. struggling so hard because this is the two things that go that play in my head the one thing is I'm a person I, I don't need to know the future but I just need to know what my options are at that point I don't know what my options are if you tell me Dylan you're not getting your year back all right I know my option is I right, try overseas go to the G League I, that's my options they, I didn't know if I was coming back if I was uh, not coming back it was hard the second thing was now I have a girlfriend who goes to Oregon right. who is now my wife she is in limbo as well like hey are we doing long distance Distance or we're not, and not to bring up personal things, but I've done the long distance and it just doesn't work for athletes. And hopefully it works for some, but it's just a different world. 
And she knew that, I knew that. So we were we had a little anxiety about it. But fun, finally, once I, I got back, they gave me my waiver, you know, everything else. Yeah. Was peachy clean so, after that. So in the middle, so when did you meet, when did you mm-hmm. meet your girlfriend? Because she's she was an Oregon women's basketball player. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She played. She went to junior college for two years. was an All-American in junior college. She's from Australia. So she, when she came over here, she was supposed to go to Division One right away. But, you know, the schooling's different. She went to junior college and then went to Oregon. I got her. And then she got hurt. She tore ACL. So then we're in the weight room. We're in, you know, I, I'm just doing my little oh, better. And she's like, oh, you too. <laughs> so we met through the injuries and, you know, it became a friendship. It honestly just became a friend. Obviously, we're both, you know, I thought she was a little cute. She thought I was attractive. But we, I think we bonded through the hardest time in our lives. You know, we went to church together. We, you know, we were praying together. We we made sure that each other was eating right. And, you know, I think once we got through that, you know, it was, I, you know, we're bonded for the rest of our lives, whether we stay friends or we decide to be in a relationship. And, you know, I came back. She was ecstatic. I was ecstatic. We get to continue our relationship. Oh, but then she gets hurt again. Yeah. And I'm having this year where, you know, I'm having a great year with the Oregon Duck. She's going through this injury. But at the same time, you know, I knew what she was going through. So we were able to, you know, go through it together. So, so then, then I got to say, I got to ask the question. Sorry, I'm going a little bit back in time. So you left. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you're going through this injury. You're struggling through all of that, et cetera. Yes, you meet, you meet your eventual wife. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. awesome. So it sounds like you guys were really helping each other through that. Now you're looking, now you're looking at yeah. the NCAA and you're seeing Villanova, the team you just left, absolutely demolishing the <laughs> way through the tournament. So what's going through your mind with all of yes. that? Yo, let me tell you, when I seen, I knew they they were they were doing their thing. I was like, yo, if they keep People's like, no, they might lose next round. I said, no, if they get through, I don't forgot who it was. I think it was the Sweet 16. I said, yo, if they get through this Sweet 16, they're gonna win it. Yo, the the, the we were watching national championship game at my coach's house. They called a timeout, yeah. tie, a tie game, yeah. right? Tie game. I said, I there was like 20 people. I said, watch, they're gonna run Nova. Ryan's gonna get the ball. Ryan's gonna dribble down. There's gonna be a screen at half court. And he, and the only thing I was wrong about, I said, Ryan will hit a shot to win the national championship. I don't know why he passed the ball. <laughs> Ryan is Mr. Game winner, but he passed the ball and people, they hit the shot and people looked at me. I said, I told you. But then I knew, I knew Twitter was going to blow up and it did. It blew my Twitter, my Instagram, people called me tech. Yo, you just got on a national championship. <laughs> said, if you don't get off my line, bro, I'm injured right now. So you if you don't get off my line. Yeah. yeah. But I was happy. Yeah, I was so happy. you guys got, you have to feel, and one thing that's that's been yeah. very clear to me um, from talking to Daryl and talking to Chef is, is that, is that you guys are all really close. So like, so, so whatever, yeah, all, whatever envy really or jealousy that you might be feeling towards them, the, towards the, the championship, I also feel like is totally outweighed by the fact that you're just happy for your friends. Yeah. And then and that's the thing. It's like, I, I honestly, and I, people could not, but I had no hate no resentment, no jealousy to them because I right. know those guys. I was in the locker room with those guys. They deserve that. Coach Wright texted me a few days after. He said, yo, Dylan, I just want to say, you know, you were 
a part of this. We wouldn't make it to the national championship and win it if your generation, your, your recruiting class didn't come in and change the program. And I didn't need any praise, but I, yo, every single person on that roster that I was at school, I texted personally. All the coaches I yeah. texted personally. I was so happy for them. Yeah, I was going through my own thing with the injury, but I knew this was my journey. That was their journey. So, so my- now you get back, but now you're back. So you, so you get past your injury. You have to admit, there's a little bit of, you don't need much yeah. extra fire, but like, there's a little extra fire. <laughs> oh, I needed that. No, I needed that one. I need that. I said, I said, I swear to God, at the start of the year, I was like, no, we're going to the national championship. I don't care if I have to carry this whole team on my back. We're going. There's no way they win it and I yeah. I'm out in the first round. No yeah. way. So, so, no so way. that was you, you had a fantastic year at Oregon that year, and that that Oregon yeah. team was was awesome. Um, I think you guys ended up as a three seed. Is that right? Stat. Because the year prior you were a two yeah. seed. Uh-huh. No, you were a one. Yeah. You guys lost to Oklahoma. That's right. We would have played you. We would have played Oregon if Oregon we beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So then, so then you get and back in the nice. three. Yeah, and which was crazy is I, people still forget. Chris Boucher, who just won um, an NBA title, he tore his ACL right. in the conference. Right, tournament. right. Even and people were writing you off because of that. You were like, ah. Uh, yeah, he was the number one shot blocker. Him and Jordan Bell were like one that's and two right. That's shot right. blockers Because what happened was, I think you guys, everyone had you guys as like a, uh, not a one, but like probably a two seed. And I think they dropped you a line because of the Boucher loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, and we lost to Arizona because Chris uh, hurt his knee against Cal the night before. We played Arizona in the championship of the conference tournament. So he tore, he didn't play that game. Now, I think if we had Chris and would have won, we would have been right. a one or two seed gotcha. depending okay. on who was picked. So then, so then yeah. I, I gotta, I, I'm looking back on that UNC 2017 championship with, with skeptical eyes. I think they got a lot mm-hmm. of gifts from the refs in your game yeah. and, and in the Gonzaga game. I'm yeah. just going to say it. I, Yo, the UNC, baby blue UNC, man. The refs have <laughs> UNC jerseys <laughs> under their shirt. I'm telling you. Um, yeah. So then you go and so then you, you finish finish your career in Oregon it had to feel really good to get that final four because yeah oh and let me add this in uh, another Villanova plug right before the game I, I'll never forget the look I <laughs> coach right the Villanova way if we're warming up for the final four you make sure you go hard in the warm-up line I literally ran out the warm-up line to go give coach right right that because I see him on the sideline and they're talking to him I'm like yo coach right you know I really appreciate everything he goes thank you Dylan I'm so happy you're here <laughs> and, yo, Dylan, go warm up with your team <laughs> but I just wanted to show love I'm like you know it just came full circle you know what I mean and he was so happy for me me and I was so happy that he was happy for me, you know. But you know, that's what I'm saying. A lot of Villanova fans, you know, they're still great, but there's the some that are still resentful for me leaving, and they don't realize like it was bigger than basketball, you know, yeah. with me and those. Guys. It's interesting because the way that. I look at it is, it's something that worked out for everybody. Yeah, it did. You guys got your national championship. I got and, my, and my final and, wife. and a wife. And a kid. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Throw that in there yeah. too. Um, I want to talk about that though, it's because not- one thing that you and I talked about. Um, um, when we were prepping and, and Rob were talking about when we were prepping was was this notion that you actually feel like your relationship with Jay Wright today is better than it was when you were in school. Yeah, it definitely ha- has to do with basketball. I think, you know, I, I, there's players that I play with who were not great together when it comes to basketball. But then you take basketball, the equation, and we click. And I think that 
honest with Coach Wright as well. Take the basketball. We have different views on basketball, but as yeah. men, we're, so, we're, so we're have you been here. staying in touch with him? Well, not not for, for the protests and stuff, but we'll text him. Like I'll say happy birthday. He'll say happy birthday to me. He'll say, oh, and I seen your blog about the father. I love it. You know, I love what you've grown into. Right. You know, things like that. We're That's just cool. always checking. That's cool. Can we can, can we talk a little bit about? Um, I really do want to get into this. Like you're a little bit of a renaissance man too. You've got yeah, you've got the yeah. blog. You've got your TikToks. You've got basketball. Yeah. You're a father. Like you're just like you have so many different facets to yeah. you. It's kind of amazing. Like how did that come about? Um, you know, I think it's just my personality. If you anybody you know who knows me well, they call me. Some people call me crazy. I understand that. But it's not crazy. It's just like, I just try to, it's every moment in life. I, I feel like, you know, you can't get back every second. So I just try to do everything I can. I have so many ideas that run through my head and not like get rich quick schemes, nothing like that. But, you know, I just love people and everything I do interacts with people. The fatherhood blog, you know, I play players in Europe. You know, I, I read your blog, you know, it's really good. It's interacting with people helping. My TikToks, yeah, it's funny, but it puts smiles on people's faces. Players will be like, yo, bro, you're so funny. And it's just, you know, interacting with people. And this, I might sound crazy, but I believe I wasn't put on this earth to play basketball. I was put on this earth to make people laugh, to interact with people. I think I'm better at that than I am at basketball. I'm not saying I'm a bad basketball player, but I think I will make more money and be more successful off the court than I am on the court. And I, shit, it's going to be hard because, you know, basketball has treated me so well, but I just feel like it's not my calling. It's, it's I'm great at it and I love it. I'm grateful for it. But, you know, connecting with people and doing those things, I, I, I think... I'm going to love doing that just as much as I can I love totally see that. I mean, reading the blog, it's it's incredible, one, how introspective you are, but then the fact that you have been able to bring in a lot of other people to share their perspective and share it, yeah. share like what is oftentimes like a very personal, very in-depth experience that yes. uh-huh. people don't often put out there, but you've somehow been able to create this environment where people are comfortable yeah. sharing that with a broad, you know, just worldwide mm-hmm. audience is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And initially, you know, I thought, you know, I know a lot of basketball players who are fathers. And that was my first. But then I was like, no, you're, you're thinking too small. So I even start there. There's guys who might have 100 Instagram followers. And, you know, my wife would say, you know, you should get the ones who have big followings because, you know, their stories will they could share. But I'm like, no, it's about the story. It's not about the followers. And the, the stories I get that are deeper and I connect with people through, those are the ones that actually do better. And it's not just about the stories. It's about me connecting with people. And I'm still learning uh, about uh, being a father from their stories. And, you know, from us sharing that, we end up creating a friendship. And then that's just me, Dylan, loving to that's talk awesome. to people. What goes, what goes so, through you your know, mind when you're out. saying like, oh, man, I got to I got to I got to put something down. I got to write this. I got to put this on paper. I got to write something. I got to record something like what's just kind of goes to your mind is it like a click like i gotta mm-hmm. get to the i gotta yeah, it's a yes yes if there is something on my mind whether it's an idea a poem a quote i literally i i hear quotes somebody will say something i watch on tv and i have i put have to put in my notes i just have to get it out of my head uh if it's an idea for the fatherhood blog i'm like okay megan you know tonight we can't watch our show i gotta get a little bottle of wine have my wine i have to type it out with tiktoks i'll just be going through it and i don't just do like random tiktok but it's 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 a click i see one i'm like nah i have to do this and then people love it 
So I just think there's just, it sounds crazy, but there's something in my mind that if I see it, I'm like, all right, it, it, it's it's a goal dealing, go do it. And I can't think of nothing else until it gets out high one. That's really out. cool. Have you been, I'm, I'm really curious about kind of your, your motivation through life. And like, you know, one has this, this kind of creative expressive side always been there and, or, you know, what's kind of been driving you through, through life. You know, you've made all these different decisions. You've traveled all over. And like, I'm curious, like, you know, what, what your goal has been, you know, through that journey and kind of how you're thinking about it now more broadly too. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the thing that drives me most is, you know, people realize, you know, Dylan travels so much and he's doing this and doing that. It's so much things. And I see how much people appreciate, you know, the things I do, how much of us, it brings smiles to people's faces and I always talk about legacy, you know, not as far as money and fame, but you know, what type of person are you when you leave? Every place I go, I want people to say, you know, Dylan was a great guy. You know, he had ideas. He had, he did different things for different people. You know, every place I've went to and played and not, not just from, it's not mainly because my basketball, but every, all the fans, they go crazy with me on and off the court because I love that interaction. And I think because I've moved so much, I, I try to take a little bit from here, try to take a little bit from here. And it's a constant challenge for me to keep building myself intellectually, emotionally, mentally, and of course, physically for my, the game. And I think once you just keep building yourself, building, yeah, you're going to have drop-offs. I've had drop-offs a couple of times where I'm not having, you know, a good few games, a good season, or, you know, things in my personal life. But I'm like, yo, Dylan, you've been through all this. You've been through so much. You know, there's nothing you've went through that you haven't got through. So anything I see, I get through it. And if it's good and if it's positive, you, I just try what's to What's the atmosphere you know with I mean? all your creative side and your professional basketball side? Do they – because I, I feel like in the United States – Players in the NBA have a little bit more leeway in the NFL. It doesn't work out that way. Like what's the, how does that, how does that interplay? Do mm -hmm. you ever get feedback from, from your teams or, or like the front office of your teams or, or your agent, like, Hey, tamp that down or are they kind of yeah. like go for it. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. That's a good question too. So I always, I think I came in like this. Right. I came in with the, I had the blonde right here and in Europe, you don't normally see that. But I think I set the tone. And once I set that tone now, any team that signs me, my agent, I talk to him more than he has like 80% of Europe, European players, but people see him as the agent. I just see him as he, that's, that's my guy. So I'll text him things that other people won't, just personal things. And I think him, the teams that signed me, they know what they're getting now because I set the tone right when I came in. What you're going to get is a social media, a guy who loves social media. I put my family out there. And now every team I sign with, the fans, the coaches, everybody gravitates to what I do. And I'm not saying I'm the center of attention in any regard, but I bring that onto the court. Now, if you watch our team play, it's showtime. People knows us as a show. We'll pull up. We'll, it'll be a two-on-one and we'll shoot a three instead of getting the easy basket. You'll see us celebrating. You'll see the fans going crazy. You'll see me going crazy. And I'll put things on my Instagram. So I think people accept who I am. They're like, this is Dylan. He's never going to change. And I think even for my basketball game, I take maybe some crazy shots that people don't, but I know how to play the game the right way. 
And coaches always tell me, we want you to be you. Yeah, you might be a loose cannon, but that loose cannon Dylan is is way well, better. And, and it's not like hesitate loose cannons. Because uh, it's not like you're, you're, you're not a troublemaker, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's right. yeah it's, exactly. But it's it's not like the typical, prototypical. Like, and I'm still, I'm one of the top guards in the league. One of the, Spain is one of the best leagues in Europe. And I'm one of the top guards. So my style, it might not be for everybody, but people like, yo, he, he, knows how to play the game he's a good player so the teams i sign with they know what they're getting and they love it it's not for everybody but the teams that want yeah. it, i sign on the <laughs> line if the money's right so we talked a little bit awesome. earlier in the podcast about your time in serbia yeah. what led to the transition from serbia to spain yeah so i actually um this year i was actually right. in monaco for to start the season monaco you know Monaco is beautiful. We played in the French League. And, you know, going back to the personality thing, they gave me a sum of money that I was like, oh, my God. Like, I never even thought I would ever see this. And I was excited. I, 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 It was a bad thing. I did. I thought about the money. I didn't think about me. The coach who was there, and not, 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 nothing wrong with him. He's a great coach. Mm. But his style was different, just like me and Coach Wright were different. He was at dinner, nobody talks. Uh, for game days, you know, I don't want to see no smiling, no music. You guys have to be serious 24-7. And I was like, you know, maybe, Dylan, maybe you just got to tone it down a little bit. You know, maybe you'll get to the next level by being Kawhi serious. And I always said that. And it was honestly, yeah, it was honestly the worst basketball experience I had in my entire career. And not because of the coach. The coach was fine. Right. It was his method didn't mix with mine. I was not playing good great on the court off the court i was a lot more quiet i wasn't posting on instagram I'm not saying that i need to post on instagram to play good yeah. but i wasn't being me and i told my agent i said yo i have to get out of here i can't do it and he goes yeah you're right and the coach knew the coach knew i wasn't being me he's like i, I know you like your way so then i said yeah i gotta get out and then this team in spain which i played for three years ago just for a month uh, i came back and they just let me be Mr. Dylan Ennis and everything was great. And I actually signed awesome. back here. Congratulations. Back here That's pretty well. awesome. Now, are you, yeah. Are thank you, you, thank do you. you guys, have you had the opportunity? I mean, obviously coronavirus, they're notwithstanding. Have you had the opportunity to kind of see the world and see Europe and, and all that with your family? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Hell yeah. Like we, we had a break um, before the virus came out. We had a break for about a week and me and my wife were just sitting there. We're like, yo, have you ever been to London? She's like, no, let's go. We literally, we booked the ticket within 10 minutes and went to London, England, where I'd never been. <laughs> it was cold as hell, but we enjoyed it. And we're able, like this summer, we're going to go back to Serbia for a week, go to Montenegro. And I think people who don't appreciate European basketball don't aren't adapting. And yeah, basketball is a big thing, but you have to adapt to the culture. And I love it because I get to see so many different things. And once basketball is done, I'm going to have to pay to go do everything I'm doing. I'm going to pay for the flight, hotel. I get to do it for free now. So I get to travel all around Europe on a from them right. paying me so to play basketball, yeah. which so I think is crazy. the opportunity to see 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 all of Europe, which is which is cool. You get to see everything, yeah.
What's it been like, just because it's there and there's nothing, like, what's it been like with, with the virus and then the season getting pushed back and then everything starting back up? Like, how's that all been? I think the toughest thing for me and my wife is that we can't go back home. You know, I'm over here for 10 months. I don't see my mom, my dad, my siblings. I have six other siblings that I don't get to see. I just had a daughter. They seen her when she was two months. And now the next time they're going to see her is if they fly down here and people have lives. It's not like people oh yeah uh let's just go to europe so you know i have to realize they're not going to see my daughter till my daughter's about two years old i can't go see my friends i can't go to a club and enjoy a lunch with you know guys i grew up with i think that's the hardest part because 10 months is a long time and mm. i get the two months that i get to go see my family and i'm sure that every, a lot of other players because a lot of american yeah. players are over there right so i'm sure they're all struggling with that oh yeah and i and it's crazy we had a guy on my team he actually when once the virus hit he realized the borders were going to mm. be closed and he just left he goes nah you guys can keep the keep the money i I want to be with my family during this time. So, and I get it, you know, you miss your family sometimes. And I, I, I have that, that, uh, that perspective, like, am I, is it worth it? I'm dedicating. Yes. I'm creating a great life for my family, making great money, seeing the world. But at the same time, I'm going to go eight, nine years with not seeing the rest of my family, whether it's, it's only for the two months. And sometimes we either have to pick Australia for a summer or mm. Canada. We can't mm. do both all the time. So one family is going to be missing out. So it's tough. It's tough. It's Please, you know, gummies all the time. How is it going down to Australia? I mean, have you been there a lot? Have you spent a lot of time with, with your wife's family? Yeah, um, and which is good. They like to travel up here a little more because her family's not as big, you know, which is great. But, you know, we've been, I've been down there twice. The reason I like going there more, and I tell it all the time, is not they know basketball. They follow basketball. They follow my career. But right. it's like they're not in this world. They're not in this bubble. Going there, her dad makes me a cup of coffee every morning. We just watch news and i don't have to talk about mm. basketball i don't have to talk about contracts i can just get away from it and that's why i love going to australia because it's not dylan ennis the basketball players here it's just i just get to go be a husband be a father and be a, pretty awesome. a son of yeah but when i go to canada my, mm. everybody knows my family in canada everybody knows what i'm doing and it's great don't get me wrong i love it but at the same time you want to turn that off sometimes and going to australia that's, really cool. that's when I get yeah it's, it's amazing to see like this other side of you too yeah. like and i think that kind of highlights what we were talking about a little yeah. bit earlier too like there's so much there's so much more to yeah. you than certainly just the basketball player that a lot of people know yeah and the, and that's a crazy thing i'm like after games i could send you guys a video there's crazy like fans are going crazy to come up take a picture i'll be walking dylan ask can you take a picture and i'd say to my wife i'm like yo they think they well there's not anything they, they look at me like i'm like kyrie irving but it's just like i'll never see that i will never see that i am uh, uh, idol to some of these kids and I love it and I appreciate it and I know the responsibilities but I just right. feel like Dylan <laughs> Ennis my wife still and you better listen you better listen you know what I mean That's how I, I know but to me, it's just like, I'll never feel like I'm that guy. And even when I go play against guys who are known and have make uh, like millions of dollars here and I play against them and they say, yo, what's up, Dylan? I still text my wife like, yo, this guy just said what's up to me. But they look at me like an equal. But to me, I still, I'll always feel like I have to keep making my name. And me, my wife always tells me, Dylan, people know you like you're a big deal. I was like, no, nah, I'm still an underdog. I still got to keep working. I think that's what makes me be a better man 
man, as well as a better basketball player. Because I never think awesome. I'm really excited to see kind of how that, like, certainly you've, you've got hopefully a lot of years left in your career from a basketball standpoint. But I'm, I'm really excited to, like, mm-hmm. beyond basketball to see how that grows as well, too. Like, it's going to be really cool. Yeah, I can't wait. I don't know what exactly it's going to be, but I know that I'm going to be the best coworker that you're going to ever know. <laughs> I'm bringing the donuts, the coffee. Everyone's like, oh, Dylan's here. You want to go to happy hour? Yeah, I can't wait for all that. I, yeah, I hope it's entrepreneur, not for proprietor. Yeah. I so, yeah, I want to talk yeah. about this. So you yeah. are 26, 27, 28. What, what, how old are you? 28, 28. And so, yeah. So like, what? how long do careers typically last? It's similar to the United States in that it like mid 30s and then and then it starts to. F- yeah. So, yeah. So everybody says you're a, your prime is between 28 and 32. You know, that's when, because you're. In Europe, you have to play. This is only my fourth year. You know, you guys you know I came out of college a little late, but they say, you know, the more years you get on the belt, you know, your belt, the better, the smarter you are. So 28 to 32 is prime. And then once you get to about 36, 37, depending on how your body is, some guys try to go, some guys don't. And, you know, people always tell me like, yo, Dylan, with your body, you know, you could play for way longer. But at the same time, you know, I I, pre- I would appreciate if people are still paying me a, a certain amount of money. But I still don't want to be in Europe while my kids are growing. I don't want them to keep moving and moving and moving when they get to a certain age. And yeah, I don't know if I, right when I get out of playing basketball, I might not make the same amount of money. But at the same time, I think life yeah. is bigger than the money. That Definitely. I'm Absolutely. So then, so then your next act is going to be exploring that creative side a little bit more or yeah yeah so I, I don't know exactly what i want to do yet but i know it's going to be something where i get to just throw my ideas out i get to talk to people i get to go meet people you know things like that I, i'm just trying to stay away from co- i'll coach but just my little kids i don't want to after basketball is done unless you i'm a gm or something i don't want to do anything that has to do bad i it's it's i've done it my whole life i'll teach my kids mm-hmm. i'll have be in the gym with them but i just want to step away from the game cool. and do other things Awesome. All right. Yeah. We, I think uh, that's, wrap it up I there. Think I think that's it. I mean, we have, I mean, there's so much to talk and whatever, but also got to be respectful of your time here. So Dylan, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast uh, with us. It's been, it's been awesome. I love the journey, yeah, no, um, the you. positivity. Um, you know, I, I, obviously I think, you know, Jay Wright talks yeah. about attitude and I think you're like yeah. the, the shining version of it. And it's just like encountering difficult yeah. things in your life and then having like a positive <laughs> attitude just breaks through everything um is is absolutely is absolutely key and my i know that rob and i root for you i know a lot of people like all of our friends are all like hey oh dylan's awesome like i love following him on twitter and instagram and all that stuff um but i have a good feeling that coming up this podcast you're going to gain a few more fans and probably win back some of those people who are still who are still tight about the shot <laughs> don't get me wrong there's a lot of fans who yeah. still show me love but there's, there's still one no, or two in the let dark let me be the first to say people so get low. over it it was five years ago really appreciate it again dylan ennis um thanks for coming on the podcast um as for our listeners rob and i will be back uh soon as as you know we're gonna do more interviews we want to talk more about all the issues that are going on currently i'm working out some time at daryl reynolds is going to come back on the podcast with us um so we talk with him about with about a wide another wide-ranging interview with him so thanks everyone for listening and as always let's go know